The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... The spring and summer fashion trends for men and a look at accessible television the United Kingdom way. Welcome to ACB Reports for April 2013. Now that April is here, thoughts turn to spring and to the hope that the weather will soon catch on to the new season. Lynn Cooper of the Mirrors Project is here with fashion trends for men that are certain to turn heads this spring and summer. What I'm going to be talking about are the real dramatic looks from the runway. What we can do is take a piece of these if we're so inclined and incorporate it in what we already own. First look is primary colors. Primary colors, red, yellow, blue, the real bright basic colors. Uh, we're seeing a lot of those. Of course, remember, spring and summer, those are being done in pants, sweaters, shirts. Once again, much more casual. We don't want to wear primary colors, don't want to usually wear really bright colors if we're going to be doing a job where we need to dress more classically. That might be a good place for us to add a bright colored shirt or a bright colored tie. So we really do have to consider being appropriate. Then we have military looks. Military looks insofar as the camouflage pattern as well as the khaki and the olive green. Be careful that you don't wear too much of this if you choose to for casual because you don't want to look like you're on a weekend uh, leave. Athletic elements are very, very big. Windbreakers, sweatshirts, uh, what looks like uh, jogging outfits. You know, once again, these are very casual, but they are a big look. Really, even bigger than that are stripes. We talked about this for women's wear, but stripes. You got big stripes. Um, they're showing them vertically, but they're, for the most part, about an inch to two inches, two colors, and they are horizontal. We're seeing them on just about everything. Once again, it's really playful, but if you want to make a low-cost fashion investment, then I would suggest a T-shirt and a stripe. Blazers with Bermuda shorts. Bermuda shorts, referring to uh, the island. Really a big look. Bermuda meaning it's at the regular waist, it's a wider leg, and it is cuffed at the knee. With blazers, lace-up shoes, oxfords are very big, and no socks. That's the look. Another trend is playful prints and patterns. These are really bright. You have to really commit when you wear these, but they're fun in shorts. They're fun in shirts, a lot of short sleeve cotton shirts. Prints are wild and big and colorful. And once again, spring and summer, we can get away with it because we're looking at more colors in nature. So usually fashion reflects that. Then another trend is, they're referring to it as a 1990s look, but actually it's rapper, like rapper song rappers, color clashes, contrasting colors, really bold colors, printed tees, exaggerated shoulder pads in jackets, bomber jackets, it is definitely, if I can editorialize, a more youthful look. But if we're out bopping around and having fun casually, go for it. Bold accessories, Mike. Um, I think this is kind of fun because if you imagine wore all beige or khaki, the bold accessories 
color is what adds the boldness. And neon, we talked about that in our women's wear. Neon is like a neon sign. And we're seeing those bright colors in shoe soles, if you can imagine it. So now you're looking at a lace-up. That's the biggest look ever for spring and summer. And then what you're seeing is maybe the brown sole and maybe a brown leather top. And then on just a trim between the bottom sole and the shoe, you'll find a bright orange or a bright red. It's really kind of fun, and it's a kind of a subtle way to add a little wink of color. Bright-colored watches handbags. I call them handbags, but they're really carried in your hands like a tote. Or we're seeing brightly colored messenger bags that go across your chest. A great place to have a little fun, and they're really best to wear these bright color accessories with a solid or monochromatic uh, outfit. Bright socks. You know, I tell fellas, my goodness, you want some fun Go and get bright-colored socks. They're great under jeans. I've even seen men in business suits. And then when you uh, make sure you get them to the knees, we always want to make sure that we don't have any skin showing between the hem of our uh, slacks, gentlemen, and our socks. And the neckties, of course, Mike. A very, very big way has been probably since they've been wearing them to add color and some pizzazz into a man's wardrobe. The ninth big look is colored trench coats. And that's pretty classic cut, like a regular trench coat with a belt, double-breasted, you know, Burberry, the British soldier look back in the day, but in bright colors. And remember, we probably want to do that if we already own a khaki and a basic colored trench coat. And then finally, smoking slippers. Now, we have to think Hugh Hefner, and they're also called tuxedo flats. They look like a bedroom slipper with a tuxedo They are usually in black patent leather, but this cut of the shoe is irreverently shown with jeans or casual slacks and maybe a jacket. They're done in leathers, they're done in velvet, they're done in animal prints, in any number of patterns. So that's kind of a fun little way to nod to the fashion trends. The business suit, or I don't want to say business suit, but the suit profile is slim, once again, single-breasted, one or two buttons. It is not like it was a few years ago. It no longer looks like you're wearing your little brother's suit. That was a trend that I'm not unhappy to see go bye-bye. Navy is the big color. Now, that's not a surprise, and I'm so happy to know that the designers think that that's a big deal. But navy is such a good classic color for a suit. As I said, single-breasted trim, certainly, as our listeners have heard me say over the years, no pleats. And the cut is such that the ankle is just barely grazed. They are narrow with or without cuffs, but they are a little bit longer than they have been in past seasons. Shoes, as I said, the lace-up Oxfords are very big, but there's something called a chukka boot. And this is C-H-U-K-K-A. I know we were wearing them in the 70s. It is the biggest look ever for spring and summer. It has a crepe sole, that kind of bumpy sole in like a um, a goldish-brownish color traditionally. It is usually in suede, two or three eyelets for lacing, and it comes up a little high on the ankle. Often it is in a dark tan, but that is really big. And I found out that chukka refers to chukker, which is a time break 
like an inning, if you will, in the game of polo. And that was the slang for the type of boots that these British soldiers wore during World War II. And when they would attend these polo games, you could see them wearing these chukka boots, referring to chuckers. So they are suede, lace-up, high ankle, with the crepe sole, two to three eyelets. They are in a bunch of different colors in all price points. If you wanted to invest in something like this, I think it's going to be around for quite a while. A good investment um, at whatever price point, but they're being shown in all different colors. A knotted linen or cotton neck scarf. That's a real big look. And colored shoelaces. This tickles me. We're not talking about in sneakers. We're talking about in these Oxfords. And a real big look, Mike, is I'm calling it the British paperboy look. And it really is sort of out of like the 1920s British movies. Saddle shoes, the two colored saddle shoes, often in a black or a brown and then an ivory. Tweed caps, bow ties, straw hats, very much like a, a young dandy in the, in the turn of the 20th century. Moccasins are very big, all different colors as are deck shoes, uh, dockers, as you call them. They have the white soles for walking on a sailboat so that you don't scuff the boat. Those are done in a lot of different patterns and prints and colors. Straw hats, think about Cuba in the 50s. Those are very big. And, again, the red shoe accents, and those would be the soles or, as I said, the laces, what have you. Hair, like fashion for men, does not evolve as quickly as women's. So we're looking at two trends continuing. One is the side part. looks very 1960s, very mad men. Side part, and then the hair long and combed over to the side with product, as they say, or a pomade, as my grandpa would say. But that is what they call it again. It's a nod to what men were wearing uh, back in the 30s and 40s, and essentially it just slicks down the hair. Then the next look, which is a bit more irreverent and more youthful and more fashion-forward, is length on the top and short on the sides and the back. So that can either be poofed up a little bit or it can just be down toward the face or it can just be sort of tussled and um, unruly and made to look like one just got out of bed. So that pretty much wraps up the looks for spring and summer from runways and the fashion magazines for men. Visit Lynn at her website, lynncooper.us. That's L-Y-N-N-C-O-O-P-E-R dot U-S. Send your suggestions or comments regarding ACB reports to the American Council of the Blind, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. The 21st Century Video Accessibility Act has been the subject of several past installments of ACB reports. It should be noted, however, that the United States is not the only country that has been addressing the issues of accessible video programming and equipment. Richard Orme is head of accessibility for the Royal National Institute of Blind People and hails from Birmingham, England. 
His presentation during the 51st annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind was entitled "Accessible TV Within Our Reach." Well, thank you for such a warm, warm welcome, and I'm here today to share with you some amazing developments in television access that we're proud to be enjoying in the United Kingdom. In fact, after you've heard the progress we've made on TV access, you may even want to move there. So a little about RNIB, like ACB, we're driven by our members and we work on the issues that they identify as priorities. In the United Kingdom, there are more televisions than people, and on average, we watch more than four hours every day. So access to television was identified by us as an important issue many years ago, and we consider this to have two key aspects: the content and the interface, the access to the equipment. In the UK, we talk about video description as audio description, so you'll have to forgive me if I flip into that language. So, in the UK, audio description on television is very popular. When we polled our members last year, 70% of our blind members are using audio description on TV, and 40% partially sighted. 82% of those using it wanted us to encourage broadcasters to produce even more, but no surprise there. But how much is available in the UK? I think I heard yesterday that, as of the 1st of July, there are nine channels that will be required to carry video description in the US. Well, right now, today, in the UK, we have 69 TV channels carrying audio description. Now, these TV channels are the popular ones, and according to the regulator, account for 90% of audience share. And they're required, as part of their license, to describe at least 10% of programmes all the time. Now, the most popular channels actually have committed to produce 20% themselves voluntarily, and many, in fact, broadcast more than a third of their programmes with audio description. Some even reaching 40%. Now, I've looked at the schedules for this week. I had a look and across soap operas. Major dramas, documentaries, movies, and children's programs. How many programs are broadcast in a single week in the UK with video description? Well, this week I counted 1,335. And you might be interested to know that lots of American shows and movies are broadcast in the UK with video description also. Because when they come in from the U.S., British broadcasters then produce the audio description before they're aired. So we get to see lots of audio described U.S. shows that hopefully you too soon will be able to enjoy. <laughs> I'm going to run a couple of very short audio clips in a moment. They're in fact they're videos, because the broadcasters not only put out a lot of audio description and exceed the minimum requirement very royally. But they also participated across 60 different channels at the beginning of this year to promote audio description so that people know it's available. Let's try first with video one. We see an avalanche in the Alps. The picture cuts to a thunderstorm. Then the avalanche. Then the thunderstorm. They sound very similar, don't they? That's why we have audio description. It's easy to use, available on most digital TVs, and you can turn it on right now. 
To find out how, call 08456 010181 or visit audiodescription.org.uk. So I want to pay credit to our broadcasters who get behind Audio Description, promote it and put out so much great content. So whilst broadcast is important, so too is the equipment. So navigating the many TV and radio channels, because we have radio broadcasts through our TVs as well, is really challenging if you find the on-screen messages, menus and grids difficult or impossible to read. So the second issue I want to talk to you about is, although we had more audio-described programming than any country in the world, I would suspect, many people were having difficulty finding the programs they wanted to watch, to plan their viewing, to set their recordings, to control their TV service. So we started talking to TV manufacturers about making television accessible to blind people. But when we met with manufacturers, we were told it's just not possible to make televisions usable by blind people. We work with universities to produce demonstrators. We develop prototypes to show it was technically possible. But despite so much support from our members and from several working groups, there was still no product on the market for people to get. On one memorable occasion, I was told in a meeting with a trade association that it was simply not possible to make television equipment accessible, that I was deluded. Now I ask you, do you think I'm deluded? Well, we didn't think so, so we set out to prove them wrong. We partnered with companies that made television equipment, and with our know-how and their knowledge of bringing products to market, we developed the world's first talking set-top box, which was launched in 2010. Now, this is a regular product available through high street stores, through Amazon, and of course from RNIB. It's a mainstream product, but it also happens to talk. As you change the channel, with a well-designed remote control, the program information is read out. The menus all talk. The box can be retuned. And, of course, all the on-screen program guide speaks to a fully talking TV experience. This is clearly a milestone, and more than 10,000 homes in the UK now have this product. But I've got even more exciting developments to share with you. Most people in the UK receive TV through a rooftop aerial. Coverage is very high, and you get around 80 subscription-free TV channels, and lots of radio too. But satellite is there also for the ones that want even more choice. So we at RNIB showed how it was possible to plug in a small unit to any of the 10 million existing satellite boxes out there to create talking features. And the satellite provider went and developed this as a product, and it can now be used to provide basic talking features to any of their satellite subscribers. Now, once people had talking television, they wanted more. In particular, the ability to record programs. So we partnered with one of the leading UK manufacturers and created a spoken interface for their popular range of hard disk recorders. I think you call them DVRs. Launched earlier this year, it's available in leading department stores and electrical retailers from Amazon and from RNIB. So this is a fully accessible DVR, providing the ability to record shows at the press of a button, to schedule the recording of a favorite TV or radio series, 
to pause and rewind live TV so you can review all those library of shows you've recorded with speech, delete the recordings, and so on. It supports high-definition video and audio too. Now, in a perfect world, how much should this accessibility cost extra? Nothing. nothing. Quite right. So it costs nothing extra. And even better, and this is useful for our colleagues who are told all the time that the equipment can't support text-to-speech, it's too difficult, they have to add chips and memory and so on. If you bought one of these DVRs last year, a software update, free, over the air, turns it into a fully talking DVR. So whether you watch TV through a rooftop aerial or satellite, in the UK you can have lots of TV programs with audio description on accessible equipment. And until now, with the examples I've given you, I've been talking about UK or European brands. Now we're talking about global brands. When I visited with our chair, Kevin Carey, the headquarters of Panasonic in Japan two years ago, they listened very attentively to our messages about television access. But we didn't know what would come from that. But some months later, they asked for a meeting at our London headquarters to talk about some ideas they had. Well, we work with Panasonic over the next few months, and we now have 30 models of talking Panasonic TV on the market. So I'm going to run another video now, and there are four stars in this film. So first of all, Paul is a blind man who lives in London. Lane comes next, and she's a member of our staff who works to encourage manufacturers to make TV accessible. Next is Mark, and he works for Panasonic and speaks about Panasonic's reasons for doing this. And then the last star, possibly the best star in this video, is, of course, a Panasonic television with built-in text-to-speech. I'm Paul Porter, and I've been completely blind all my life. Contrary to what people might think, blind and partial sighted people do watch a lot of TV, and I would certainly put myself in that category. Um, for the last 10 years or so we've had audio description which has been great but now we've got a TV that gives me access to a lot more information that's visually on screen that I haven't previously had access to. The voice guidance on. The great thing about the new range of Panasonic TVs is that when you get it out of the box if you follow instructions you can turn voice guidance on and it will help, help you set up things like audio description and then give you access to the electronic program guide so you can find out what's coming up within the next seven days. Four, channel five, six, ITV two. The problem has been that as TVs have got more complicated, um, you know, we had, I guess, a few channels before. Now we've, we've got digital TV, you've got 20, 30 channels, and keeping up to date with what's on is difficult. But with the voice guidance, you've got that information at your fingertips. Um, also, choosing the channel you want to watch is easier. You know what's coming up. You can browse through the listings the same as anyone else. So your TV experience matches that of anyone who can see. News and factual, the latest national and international news stories from the BBC News team. I'm Lane Petray. I'm Principal Manager of the Media and Culture Department in RNIB. RNIB worked really closely with Panasonic to develop this new feature called Voice Guidance. So once Panasonic had decided that they wanted to implement 
this technology and thereby make their televisions more accessible for blind and partially sighted people through text-to-speech. RNIB was on hand with our experts to provide advice on how to implement the feature and we also did very detailed testing with blind and partially sighted people. I'm Mark Vasey, I'm Assistant General Manager for Panasonic TVs in the UK. Panasonic has just developed a talking TV and the reason for doing that is, is one of our main business um, uh, policies is to contribute towards society and certainly accessibility is one way that we can do that. The RNIB were able to provide us with a great deal of uh, experience and knowledge based upon uh, their experience of working with uh, other product uh, manufacturers. They were also able to provide us with um, testing using blind and partially sighted users um, based upon a prototype TV that we developed. And this provided us with a huge amount of knowledge on what uh, implementation worked well and what needed to be improved. Um, I've had, had this TV a few days now and within a few minutes I was up and running. I was turning the voice guide and so on. I was looking at the various options, changing the speed, changing the volume, then going into the, the, the program guide to find out what was coming up. Um, in the next few minutes and, and in fact in the next few days. Cash in the attic robbed, raided, reunited 11 o'clock to 11.30. What's fantastic about voice guidance is that this feature is implemented in the entire Panasonic range for 2012 and people can buy uh, TVs with the feature like anyone else. They don't need to do anything special and they don't need to pay extra for the feature. Panasonic has a continuous roadmap for improvement. Uh, we've already introduced 30 uh, TVs within our 2012 model lineup. Uh, and we're now starting our journey for our 2013 models. Um, we are um, going back through a lot of the recommendations that the RNIB made um, with an intention to uh, make sure that those improvements are integrated into the next generation. Uh, but we're also looking to increase the number of languages that we support as well. Currently we support English only. Uh, next year's models we plan to try and expand this to as many European languages as possible. For me, having the, the Panasonic TV with voice guidance has made watching TV and choosing what programs I want to watch much more of an enjoyable experience. I don't just have to hope for the best by looking through the channels I'm trying to figure out what's on by listening to the, the audio. I can now choose in advance. There you go. You've heard about the Panasonic TV and all the other range of things. So let me underline what you've heard here. All the 2012 range of Panasonic TVs have built-in text-to-speech. 30 models. The basic range right through to the biggest sets that footballers and investment bankers buy through a rooftop aerial and some satellite services too. Every TV from Panasonic in every store using the same quality speech as used as Apple products, no extra charge. So in closing, two final thoughts. Firstly, the TV industry is highly competitive and when one company introduces a feature, often the others follow. And secondly, manufacturers like Panasonic don't just make TVs. They make Blu-ray players. They make telephones and mobile phones and washing machines, cookers, refrigerators, and heating controls. I'm convinced they will find ways with encouragement to reduce the cost of built-in text-to-speech and I hope bring the benefit to a wider range of products.
We've come a long way since I was told that we were deluded. We have shown what's possible, and it would be wonderful if the voice of ACB could also be heard by these companies so we can really get them to deliver for blind consumers. Accessible TV is real, it is achievable, and there is no reason why you should not have it in America. Richard Orme of the Royal National Institute of Blind People was recorded in Louisville, Kentucky in July 2012. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.